Well, we thank you for um, bearing with us during uh, our series of messages on Israel. I really thank you for not throwing anything at me and for being so uh, supportive and such good listeners. And I have appreciated uh, the conversations that ha uh, the series have, uh, has led to, such wonderful uh, comments and questions and emails and all the rest. And so I greatly appreciate uh, you listening. Tonight is our last message on the subject of Israel as part of our Foundations of the Faith series. We have examined a little bit Israel's past, and then we spoke a little bit about Israel's present. And uh, tonight, I would like for us to speak about Israel's future. Uh, she does indeed have one. I know this because I, I read about it in the Bible. That's, that's where we go for the best information. And I found this marvelous little passage of Scripture with a big message for us all. And it's way back in Isaiah chapter 4, uh, just, just a few verses, uh, beginning with verse 2. So here is Isaiah chapter 4. Uh, verse 2. If it's helpful to you, you could follow along on the screen. If not, uh, there are Bibles uh, on the seat backs in front of you if you do not have one of your own. Here's what it says. In that day, I must say when I read that the first time, I couldn't go further. I had to stop. It was those three words that were just so uh, pleasant to read. Because those words were in contrast to this day. You can't have that day unless you have this day. This day is here and now. That day presumes there's a future. And I love that. We just sang about our future. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun in that day. So I saw just in these three words, as I know you do as well, a very hopeful encouragement, yes, to, to do what we could in this day, but not to dig in as if this day is going to be forever day. No, this day is going to give way to that day. We spoke about this day with regard to Israel. And this day, with regard to the nation of Israel, as you well know, is characterized by conflict and upheaval. But I'm so pleased to have read God's word through Isaiah that there will be a that day for Israel. And that day, as you will see, will take on an entirely different character uh, than this day does. Uh, this day is not forever. It's important for us to remember that. That day is forever. This day is pretty much temporary. So what will there be in that day? As we examine the text, you can see that the branch of the Lord will be in that day. And secondly, the survivors of Israel. Can you extract that from the verse? Uh, the branch of the Lord will be in that day and also the survivors of Israel. So let's talk about the branch of the Lord. Who is he? Well, I want to tell you that he is the Messiah, uh, the Lord Jesus. Now, how do I know this? 
Well, first of all, as a Jew, I know historically when the phrase, the branch of the Lord is used, it has always been given a messianic interpretation. It's always been a prophetic reference to the Messiah, the branch of the Lord. And to bolster that observation, I want to tell you that six times in the Old Testament, the branch of the Lord is used and the context is very clearly a reference to the coming Messiah. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, these are the words of Jeremiah in chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. He said, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, listen, a righteous branch. I tell you, David had, has not had a righteous branch on the throne in human form until the God-man, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, took the throne. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord. So if you're wondering uh, of the name of the branch of the Lord, here Jeremiah says so in 23 verse 6. This is his name. He shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. We Jews uh, refer to him as Adonai Tzidkenu, the Lord, the righteous one. So can you see the divine character of the branch of the Lord? We Jews would not make that pronouncement upon any mere human king or priest, the righteous one. We, we would love to attain to this kind of righteousness, and we seek to do it through the doing of the law and fall so far short. But I'm telling you, there is a one, and his name, his designation is clearly spelled out. He will be called the Lord our righteousness, Adonai Tzidkenu. None of us possess righteousness inherently. Isn't it great, therefore, to be introduced to the Lord who's willing to become our righteousness, to give us right standing with Almighty God? So, so you hear some things today and you read some books by well-known personages who would explain away clearly messianic references like this. So you'll forgive me if I get a little, um, let's see, what's the word? Ticked off? <laughs> Six times, folks, the branch of the Lord is a reference to Messiah. If you would like to consult on your own the other references in the Old Testament, here they are. Uh, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Isaiah uh, 11, verse 1, Jeremiah 33, 15, Zechariah 3, 8, and Zechariah 6, 12. The branch of the Lord is the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And so in that day, he will be, and more specifically, according to this one verse, he uh, the branch of the Lord, the Messiah, will be beautiful and glorious. Can you see it here? He will be beautiful and glorious. To whom? Uh, to the survivors of Israel. Uh, it's not that he becomes beautiful and glorious. He is inherently. And yet the blindness of my people keeps them from recognizing it. 
So what's really wonderful about that day is that in that day, he to them will appear finally to be beautiful and glorious. My people despise him mostly now, uh, demean him, deny him mostly now. But in that day, he will no longer be ignored by his chosen. His chosen will see him, the branch uh, of the Lord, Adonai Tzidkenu, to be beautiful and righteous. And in addition to the branch of the Lord, we read that in that day will be these survivors of Israel. Does that not mean to you what it means to me? Israel will survive? I mean, how could there be survivors of Israel if Israel doesn't survive? That's good news. But that, it says, survivors of Israel implies not everyone in Israel will survive. Only those in Israel who survive, survive. What happens to the rest? They don't survive. It's plain. Painfully so. What is it, then, that the survivors of Israel who survive, survive. Well, it's something called the Great Tribulation. And uh, Lord willing, if uh, he enables us to get together next week, we'll, we'll start to talk about future things, kind of a new, new series. What's, what's next in God's prophetic calendar? We surely won't get to this next week, but it'll be one of the topics we'll address in detail, the Great period of tribulation. Well, many of my people who go through it will not survive it. Many will perish, but not all. You see, there will be those in Israel who survive the great tribulation, and it is those, the survivors of Israel, who will be with the branch of the Lord in that day, and he will be finally to those survivors of Israel. He will be beautiful and glorious. Now, this transformation among surviving Jews uh, is not only a good thing for them. No, no, no. They, blessing doesn't stop with the Jews. They are simply the vehicle of blessing to the world in accordance with the Abrahamic covenant, which we just, we beat that to death, didn't we? Uh, Genesis 12 over the last few weeks. You see this verse again. You see how loaded it is? Just this verse. It says, The fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. So somehow these, who, these Jews who survived the great tribulation, somehow God will fulfill his word. I will bless those who bless thee, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. God will fulfill those promises at the end of the great tribulation when he comes the second time and establishes his 1,000-year earthly millennial reign. Now, you can deny it all you want to, but you'll be very surprised when you find yourself there if you're a Christian. It's undeniable uh, if, you, if you have a high view of Scripture. If you take it for what it says, you will find yourself believing in the 1,000-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at that time, the whole world will be blessed. Remember, uh, the blessing of God doesn't stop with the Jews. He just decided to use them as the vehicle of blessing to the world. So not only, folks, has God not rejected and replaced the Jewish people, as I read scripture, it looks to me that he intends to fulfill his promise 
to bless the entire world through them. Well, it goes on. Are you ready to move on to another verse? It's good to read the Bible slow, don't you think? Um, one time I took a speed reading course. I was in law school, and you have to read like masses of really intensely boring uh, stuff. And you have to read it real fast. So I took this speed reading course, and that's okay if you're like in law school, but you do not want to speed read the Bible. Uh, because, because it's much more important than anything you get in any other kind of school. So, so I, I scanned the newspaper. Yes, you scan the newspaper. You know, you, you read the, the headline. You scan, but you don't scan the Bible. You slow down and you mine its treasures and you, you milk it. And you, you look at each word and phrase. And so there's a lot. So look at the next verse in this uh, passage. Isaiah 4 verse 3. And it will come about, we're still talking about in that day, in the future. It will come about that he who is left in Zion, you've heard of Zion, Mount Zion. It's an epithet representing Jerusalem in particular, but all of the Holy Land in general. Uh, it'll come about in that day that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called... Am I reading this right? Holy. Everyone who was recorded for life in Jerusalem. I've been to Israel several times. And I've been to Jewish communities in many places in our country. I, the adjective to describe them that pops into my mind is not holy. No, no. But in that day, the distinguishing characteristic of these left in Zion and who remain in Jerusalem will be holiness. They, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are not this way now, will in that day be characterized, notice, not by a stock portfolio uh, or uh, possessions, uh, not by earned academic degrees, which my people... We, we do that stuff. But in that day, what will distinguish the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, who survived the Great Tribulation, will be, do you notice, a moral quality. In that day, they will be called holy. Kadosh is the word. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy. They are not now. They will be in that. It means to be set apart Unto God, there will be a day. It'll be that day when the purpose that God intends for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be fulfilled. And because of this God-given new identity, they will be, as this verse says, notice, recorded for life. Do you remember Fiddler on the Roof? To life, to life. What's the word? L'chaim, gesundheit, to you. L'chaim, two people knew about that. L'chaim means to life. That's the word here. These who will be defined in that day by a moral quality, the quality of holiness, are also the ones whose names have been inscribed in the book of L'chaim, in the book of eternal life. Did you know there is such a thing? 
And, and in fact, the New Testament tells us quite a lot about it. Here's one reference to it. For instance, Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. And nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. It's the new Jerusalem. But only those whose names are written, you see, in the Lamb's book of life. It's really, really, really important that you know for sure that your name is inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. If there is even a hint of doubt, could you give us a few minutes of your time before we take leave of one another tonight? Let's talk about this. It's important. Well, in that day, the survivors of Israel will be holy and will have their names written, as it says, in the Lamb's book of life. And when will all this happen? Well, the next verse tells us, it's Isaiah 4, verse 4. It'll happen when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst. How? By the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. First off, notice uh, the verse begins with the word when and not if. It's a when. It's a certain occurrence. It's not an if. We're not guessing at the possibility. When the Lord has washed away this terrible filth, it's a moral filth and degradation. It's a spiritual corruption. My people have played the harlot with false gods. We've made idolatry our national pastime. We worship the create shun instead of the creator but in that day all this filth will be washed away and God will purge the very bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst and how will he do this by uh, a self-help book uh, by this new thing a popular female television talk show lady is promoting I'm doing the best I could to be sufficiently uh, vague that you leave me alone. But, but <sighs> I suppose you can improve your golf swing by reading a how-to book. But you can do nothing about your inherently unholy inclinations and character and nature by reading any book. For you too and me too, the transformation has to come about by the initiative of holy God. He will take the initiative in doing this, but notice how. It won't be neat and pretty and it won't be without pain. It'll be through the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. I have to tell you, God will use the horrors of the outpouring of his wrath upon earth dwellers during the great tribulation to purge out all of this leaven from amongst my people. And then and only then will they be free of it. And folks, only the sovereign work of God can bring this about, not human effort. I think I've just about had enough about these political claims and promises. How can the ones who've created the problems? Well, you know the rest. 
not pointing the finger, but we're in this mess because we created this mess and we started messing it up in Genesis chapter 3. And all the political slogans and bumper sticker philosophies in the world cannot reverse what we have done. It's not a getting filled up with ourselves and this foolish confidence in any candidate's promises that will change anything. It's being emptied of self. It's coming before Almighty God and saying, Oh God, forgive us. We have inhabited your world as if you're not in it, have nothing to do with it, and we need not have anything to do with you. Oh God, forgive us. We are broken. We are empty. We want you to be on the throne. You are our only hope. Well, that sadly doesn't come about on a widespread level except through a period of great intense tribulation that really does empty people of themselves. And in, in that day, God will bring about all of these marvelous purifying results. You see, he will cleanse the nation. And when he does, this will be the outcome, verse 5 of Isaiah 4. Then the Lord will create. Don't you love that word, create? Did you know it's only used of God in the Bible? In the beginning, God created. And it cannot be, uh, that word, put in association with any of God's creatures. Creatures can't create. <laughs> Only the creator can create. That means what God's going to do in that day is not a renovation, a reorganization of the corrupt stuff we live in. No, no, no. It's a new creation, <laughs> and only God can do it. In that day, the Lord will create, notice, over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies. Tell me if this sounds familiar a little bit. A cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory will be a canopy. Isn't this somewhat reminiscent of something else God did at an earlier stage in Israel's life? Do you remember when they were liberated from 400 plus years of bondage in Egypt? How faithfully God manifested his glorious grace in this very way. Remember how he led them in her wil their wilderness wanderings in a cloud by day and flaming fire by night? And it's as if, it's as if God is saying, that same kind of gracious, glorious manifestation of my watch, care, and presence in the midst of Israel will come about again in that day. That's what it says. And the Lord will create over the whole area uh, this cloud and flaming fire. And it says over all the glory will be a... In case you're wondering what this is. Canopy. But the word is chuppah, chuppah. It's simple. It's used at Jewish weddings, oftentimes down to this very day. We've used one like it here. It's a symbol, that's all. It's not magic. The couple, to be wedded, come under it. And everybody else is observing. 
And everybody else is acknowledging soon there will be the formation of this new household. It will be autonomous. Father and mother have to let these kids go. And these kids have to go. We have to honor the integrity of what's happening now under this new roof, under this chuppah. And it's a symbol of the formation of a new relationship. It's a love relationship. It's special. It's private. It's the consummation of years of life and a crisscrossing of two human lives. By the way, male and female, and I don't think we should mess around with that. That's the way it is, male and female. That's God's idea. And, and it's a symbol of intimacy and a, a promise of provision and protection and presence and all the rest and don't you see why for a guy like me it's so exciting to read that in the future God will set up over all of Israel over Zion and my people a chuppah it'll be a symbol of the fact that he not only has not rejected Israel he's consummating his vows to Israel He's bringing her under his chuppah, his canopy of watch care and protection and provision and presence. It's about marriage, not about replacement, not about rejection. And verse 6 of the text tells us, and there will be a shelter. It'll be like a shelter to give shade from the heat of day. If you're from the Middle East, Israel in particular, you know if you're there uh, in the summer, how hot it could get. These are wonderfully poetic uh, words to indicate a reality. Uh, he, he will give a shelter to provide protection from the heat of the day and a refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. The chuppah, the canopy, which will be not now, but in that day, over all of Jerusalem and its people, will be a shelter, and it will provide two things. It'll provide a refuge and protection. God's canopy, don't you see, over Israel, will provide her with shelter from the heat by day and from the storm and the rain. So Jerusalem... Not now, I know that, but in that day. And by God's doing, not by any uh, human peace proposals. Oh, come on. But by God's doing in that day, Jerusalem will finally live up to the meaning of its name. Did you know Jerusalem means city of shalom? But there hasn't been shalom, peace in Jerusalem since it was founded by King David 3,000 years ago. Only strife. There cannot be shalom when the people live apart from the Tsar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. But in that day, based on the gracious initiative of God, not the United Nations, no. That day, Jerusalem will finally be a city of, place, uh, of peace. You might find this hard to imagine as you read the news reports, but in that day, Jerusalem will be the safest and most secure place on earth. The Lord's coming again the second time. After this terrible time of great tribulation, it is that which will bring it to pass. It won't happen until 
He returns again. We will not usher in an era of peace by being kind and loving to one another. We don't have it in us. It'll be ushered in at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my point as we draw this series to a close tonight is this. My fellow Christians, if God in that day will be wedded to Israel, then should not we in this day stand closely by her? That's my question to you. I hope you render the right answer. We're entitled to differences of opinion with regard to Israel, the state of Israel now. But make no mistake about Israel then. Isaiah spelled it out. She will be safely, finally joined to her own Messiah under his wedding canopy. And Israel's glorious future is not hers alone. Oh, no. It belongs to all those who, by faith, will be wedded finally at the marriage supper of the Lamb to the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to be a vehicle of blessing, first through Israel, but then to anybody who will call upon his name. And in that day, all who have, Jew and Gentile, will not only sing... I don't want to hurt your feelings, but my fellow Baptists, we will even dance. Would you help us to remember that, Bill? Sing this with me. We will dance on the streets that are from the Lord. 